Pastor King, thank you for the many years of being able to work under you and get to uh, learn how to do ministry, uh, how to love people. Uh, we have um, we have more stories together than we have time to tell. Uh, but it's been uh, it's been great over the years, and I'm just excited about what the Lord's going to use you to do here at this church at this time. Pastor King, if you come preach to us. Amen. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to be here. I mean that uh, as he and I, are, as he's given me that little introduction there, I'm thinking of all these memories that we've got together. I, I remember he and I in the, the basement of my house um, with water up over our ankles trying to get the flood out of my basement together at probably one o'clock in the morning. And and I remember, um, oh goodness gracious, I remember um, probably about 10 or 11 o'clock at night getting a call from him that uh, they'd just been in an accident and we uh, ran over and, and uh, Matthew was just a baby and and uh, got Matthew out of the out of the car and brought him to our house and and uh, got him to Janet and and uh, she said, "Can you run to the grocery store and get stuff?" I said, "Well, we haven't had a baby in a while. I don't really remember what stuff." She said, "You know, just go to the baby section and just get stuff, and we'll figure it out when you get here." And I remember um, um, uh, looking. At, you know, when I when I was when I was a parent with babies, they just had like you know. Formula, food, diapers. But now it's like a hundred different um, brands of baby food, and a hundred, and they got so many flavors now. You know, it used to be just like all oatmeal kind of. That, you know, now they got everything in the world. You know, they've got filet mignon with bacon flavor. They've got, but so I'm just standing there, eleven o'clock at night in the grocery store, just thinking, what do I even get this child? And and what size diapers does he? What brand diaper does he weigh? And all this, so. Uh, um, but yeah, all these memories flooding by. By the way, go ahead and turn to First Kings chapter twenty, and I'll, I'll get there in just a minute. But um, I, I will, I will say this: I, I'm dying to say a whole lot more about your pastor, and I'm, I'll uh, probably do that as the week progresses. But I would say this: that um, he is hands down, and don't please don't tell my staff this, but he's the best assistant pastor I ever had. And I've had a good number of them, and, uh, but let's just keep that between us, okay? Don't mean that as an insult to anybody else. It just, um, um, it, it is what it is. Um, he is a, he is a good, good, good preacher. And, uh, he is a smart, smart, smart gentleman. And, um, uh, but honestly, uh, of every, all the good things we could say about, uh, about him, the best thing I could say is, uh, comes down to two things. Number one, he's a good Christian. Okay, in fact, he's a better Christian than he is a preacher. And wouldn't you rather have it that way, amen? Um, because um, uh, I, I really believe that there is a curse on our generation of Christians, and that is that we want somebody to be a good preacher. We don't really care what kind of Christian they are as long as they're a good preacher. And I'm glad he's a good preacher, but I'm more happy that he's a good Christian. And But I would say even beyond being a good Christian... Because really, to be a good Christian, what do you have to do? You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that makes you a good Christian, right? But there are a lot of good Christians who aren't necessarily good people. Am I right about that? They just don't have good manners. They just don't, they're not very self-aware. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're just not really good people. They may love the Lord, but they're just not really that good of a person. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you have a, a pastor who is an outstanding preacher, but better than that, he is a great Christian. But even better than that, he's just a good person. 
And you need to be grateful for that. You really need to be grateful for that. Because I, I could start rattling off names of churches right now that have very, very good preachers but would give their right arm to have a guy behind the pulpit that's a good Christian and a good person. And so be grateful. But what I would like you to do is I would like for you to be very unkind to him. I'd like you to be rude to him. Uh, I'd like you to say nasty things about him behind his back. In fact, maybe even put some things on Facebook about him. Maybe even make up a lie about him. And, and, and if all that doesn't work, then start in on, on his lovely bride and just be mean to her. Just treat her poorly because if you will do that, maybe they'll come back to Hagerstown. Amen. <laughs> so, <clears throat> that was a joke. Everybody know that was a joke? Okay, that was a joke. Please don't do that. Alright, but if you do, you got a place to come. Amen. <laughs> Alright, alright. My sermon this morning, uh, by the way, I, what time do you finish? 9.30-ish, okay? Alright, so you said Sunday school starts at 9.45, so they need to be out here by 9.44. Okay, alright, gotcha, alright. Okay, alright. Uh, and I know this is a revival meeting, I, I get that, and I understand what uh, it's supposed to, um, uh, you're supposed to feel in a revival meeting. And uh, my revival-type sermons will begin tonight, okay? And so I do hope you'll make it back for the evening service tonight. And I've, I've got a sermon that I am really charged up about preaching tonight. But uh, this morning I want to preach a sermon that's really not... Uh, this is not a revival meeting sermon, okay? But I believe this is what probably somebody here today needs. And so if you'd look with me at First Kings chapter 20... And um, I'm, the sermon is going to cover verses 22 to 28, okay? But uh, I'm going to just read verse 23 and 28 for right now. And, um, and then once I have read that, then uh, I'm going to pray and give you some introductory thoughts. And then I'll uh, give you five main points and then we're done, okay? So everybody following that? I'm going to read two verses, pray, introductory thoughts, five points, we're done. Here we go. All right, verse 23, look at this. It says, And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, now look at this next line. This is important. Their gods are gods of the hills. Their gods are gods of the hills. I've got that underlined in my Bible. Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain. Let us fight against them in the plain. And surely we will be stronger than they. I've got that underlined, okay? So, their gods are the gods of the hills. These are the Syrians speaking, but let us fight them in the plain. Now, go down to verse 28. Verse 28, And there came a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, look at this, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude in, the hand, in thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. The title of the sermon this morning is, The God of the Mountain is the God of the Valleys. Alright, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'll help me to say all of this in such a way this morning that it would be helpful for us. I pray that it would make sense to us. I pray, God, you give us um, uh, grace to hear uh, from your word. And God, this is a, uh, a tremendous story, a tremendous story that has been given to us in the Old Testament and there are valuable lessons to be learned from it. And so I pray somebody will grasp some truths from the Bible today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, just to give you just a little bit of background here before we dive in. Um, the, uh, the king of Syria at this time, his name was Ben-Hadad. Okay, now I say that because um, have you ever read through the Bible and some of those names confused you? Anybody like that? Anybody besides me like that? Okay. Um, 
Have you ever stopped and thought, how many Marys are there? Am I the only one? Okay, uh, I preached a sermon one time, and uh, and I, I was talking about James the whole way through. And um, I got down to the end of the sermon and realized I was talking about the wrong James. There's more than one James, and uh, there are three Ben Haydads in the Bible. Okay, there are three of them, and I, I think that you can um, get a little confused with that sometimes because you're reading about Ben Haydad, and then you it seems like you read over what maybe a few hundred years span, and here's another one. Wait a minute, how old is this guy? Okay, well it's not the same one. Um, this is the second of the three Ben Hadads. He's the king of Syria, and uh, the Syrians were uh, in battle with Israel. Okay, now I got to say this: that it does seem like every time you turn around, that Israel is at war with somebody. Am I right about that? If you, uh, if somebody says, "What's the theme of the historical books of the Old Testament?" Uh, if you just guess war, you're probably right, because it is battle after battle after battle. Uh, you look at any of the great heroes of the Old Testament, it seems like they're always fighting with somebody or something. In fact, um, I, I printed off something off the Internet, and, um, uh, and I'm not going to read this to you here, but th- this is a list of every battle in the Bible. Okay, It is page front and back after 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 page front and back of battles in the Bible. In fact, there are 83 separate wars that are named in the Bible. But if that's not enough, there are seven different times in the Bible that there are a list of several wars that had taken place. Okay, So the number of wars referred to in the Bible is well up over a hundred, and it's just constant. It's all the time. It is all the time. And I think that probably most of you are old enough to have figured out that life is a battle after a battle after a battle after a battle after a battle, and sometimes you can get a little battle-weary. And sometimes you can just wear yourself down with the fight. And if it's not a fight at home, then it's a fight at work. How many of you are going to face a fight when you get to work? You don't have to raise your hand, but somebody's saying, yeah, if you had any, I'm going in there tomorrow. Uh, you know, how, and sometimes even you get in a little fight at church sometimes. Heaven forbid, but it happens. And sometimes you get in fights at family reunions. And, and, uh, and if it's nothing like that, it's just some fight with, uh, with some demonic force behind it just trying to wear you down. But it's battle after battle. Well, here, Israel is facing another, yet another battle with Syria. And Syria says, you know what? We lost to them last time because we fought them on the mountain. And we should have beat them. All the odds were in our favor. We should have beat them. But because we fought them on the mountain, we lost because their gods are the gods of the mountain. So let's lure them down into the valley. And if we can get them down into the valley, we'll beat them if we get them down in the valley. Well, let's look at this story. Um, number, number one, if you're taking notes, let me begin by saying a word about the elevation of the mountain. The elevation of the mountain. So when they fought the previous battle, Israel did win. Israel did win. Now, Syria thought it was because of the reason I just mentioned, but I believe Israel probably knew better, and they probably understood that it had nothing to do with the elevation of the mountain. Um, I, I will say this, that it is easier to fight a battle from an elevated position. Everybody with me on this? It's easier to fight a battle from an elevated position. Um, just a few miles from my, my house, there is a fort, a big military fort that's never been used. It was never been in a battle, but it was built because of fear of an impending battle. It's called Fort Frederick. And, uh, and the walls are, are uh, higher than a person could easily climb. 
Okay, And the, the logic behind that fort is that we get inside there and we're safe. And then we put our soldiers around the top and it's easier to shoot a rifle down at an opponent or to throw a spear down or to drop a rock down than it is for somebody to climb up that battle. And so from an elevated position, the, it is easier to fight. Okay, um, I think if any of you have ever been to, down to Gettysburg, I think you kind of understand how those battles played out down there that it seemed like the ones that would get up to the top of the hill and defend the position uh, would win. Because they're fighting downhill while the other guys are fighting uphill. And it's just easier to do it that way. And I've got to say that I see that in my own personal life. And I think you do too. It is easier for me to fight a battle when I've got a little money in the bank. Right? It's easier for me to fight a battle when I physically feel good. It's easier for me to fight a battle when I've got friends that are close to me, that love me and support me and help me. It's easier. It's easier for me to fight a battle whenever I've got issues in my life, for the most part, under control. And I'm glad that God from time to time allows me to be on an elevated position where I can fight from that vantage point. I'm glad that... Um, you said, Pastor King, I wish I had some moments where I had a little bit of money in the bank. You know, money in the bank is a relative thought. Okay? Um, you, you may say, Pastor, I've got $2.19 to last me till Friday. And I would say, praise God for $2.19. Do you know how much you can do with $2.19? <laughs> Somehow you're going to make it. David said, I've been young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God's going to take care of you. God's going to, uh, just be glad that you're not in the whole $2.19. Amen. But uh, you are more elevated than you think you are. If you've got $2.19, at least your head's above water. Amen. At least your head is above water. So, um, the elevated position. God allows us times when our position is elevated so we can get a breather. Just so we can get a breather. Has anybody here ever been in fear of drowning? Anybody here ever been in fear of drowning? Okay. Um, I, I've never personally been in that much fear of drowning. I've had a couple moments where I thought, okay, I better get some air in here really quick. Uh, but I did have a moment of fear of my, my son. We were whitewater rafting one time. And uh, and we flipped right in the worst part of the river, and it was horrible. And i got to tell you, when I finally saw his head bob up above the water, it felt like he had been under that water for three months. It felt that way. But when I finally saw his head come above the water, okay, I, I know he can get a big gasp of air in, and, and, and we're good, okay? We'll, just, we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it. Getting your head above water is an elevated position. It's an elevated position. You might say, I wish my head were further above water. Well, don't we all? I mean, don't we all? I talked to a guy years ago. And um, he um, he just lost his job. And uh, he came to me and he was just all tore up. He was just really upset. And uh, he said, Pastor, he said, my checking account's down to $70,000. And I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but on the inside, I was saying, you big knucklehead. Do you know how many of us have never had a checking account? And, and, and he referred to it as, his check, as if to say, I've got other accounts with some money, but my checking is down. I'm thinking, good night. You can live a long time on that. I think you're going to be okay. 
So however bad off you are right now, do you realize the majority of the world would love to be where you are? You're in a more elevated position than you realize. How far are we from I-95? Two miles? Do you realize, do you, do you realize that one hour from I-95 east or west in the northeast part of the United States, that this is the top 5% of the wealthiest people on earth? Y'all realize that, right? Now you realize this, right? Okay? I'm just trying to tell you that before you go poor mouthing, the poorest person here, the poorest person here is in the top 10% of the wealthiest people on the planet. At the wealthiest time of the planet in its history. So I'm telling you, you're more elevated than you realize. You've got it better off than you realize. Let me hurry on and give you number two. I, I got a whole lot more to say here. So number one was the elevation of the mountain. Number two is the ebb of the valley. The ebb of the valley. Um, valleys are dips. Valleys are dips. A valley, I know it's the 830 service, and I know it's hard to really think in the 830 service. Maybe that's why you come to this one. Amen. I don't know. <laughs> but, but can everybody think for a minute here? All right. A valley is a place between two mountains. If there are no mountains, then you can't call that a valley. Are you, are you with me here? So if you're in a valley today, it is because you just came off a mountain and you're headed toward a mountain. Right? Because if there is no mountain in the future, and if there is no mountain in the past, then it is not a valley you're in. Okay? That is the definition of a valley. I live in a valley. Okay? You look out my window where I live, and there's a mountain called Fairview Mountain just to the west of me, and then you look off the distance to the east of me, and there's um, uh, South Mountain, and I'm in this valley between these two mountains. Okay? So, if you are in a valley, that you do have to understand that, that there are mountains around you, and you will get back in an elevated position soon. Um, do you remember where David became David? You remember where that happened? I mean, did anybody know him out tending sheep? No. Did anybody know David when he killed the bear? No. Did anybody know David when he killed the mountain? No. Or the the what, uh, the lion <laughs> killed the mountain. Day thirty. Amen. All right. Did anybody know David when when those things were? No. No. Nobody. He was just a kid. They didn't know who he was. Where did David become David? In the valley. When his brothers and everybody else was too stinking chicken to go down there and fight. David took all of Saul's armor and was just buried in all of Saul's armor and thought, this is nuts. I'm not wearing this down there. Just give me my slingshot. It was good enough for the bear. It's good enough for the lion. This will take care of me. And he went down into the valley and that is where he defeated Goliath. David became David in a valley. Do you remember what probably is the greatest mountaintop peak experience of the four Gospels? Um, or three of the four Gospels. Do you know what is probably the, uh, the, the top mountaintop peak experience? Uh, probably, now I'm not talking about the resurrection. I'm talking about all the rest of the life of Christ, you know, right, you know, before the crucifixion and resurrection. It would have to be the Mount of Transfiguration. It would have to be. 
I mean, that was just that glorious moment when it is clear and it is obvious right there in the presence of Peter, James, and John that this is the Christ, the Messiah. This is the glory of God right here in front of us. But do you know that when, when they left the Mount of Transfiguration that was on top of the mountain, they went down into the valley, and as soon as they got down in the valley, they were confronted with a demon-possessed boy. Yeah, down in the valley. Hey, we're going, to, we're going to look at 1 Kings 20 a little more in just a minute, but can you hold your place there and turn over to uh, the book of Job, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. While you're finding Job, chapter 1, let me remind you of what the, the Syrian army said. The Syrian army said, they beat us last time because they were on the mountain. They beat us last time because they were on the mountain. But if we pull them down to the valley, we will beat them. Remember, that's what they said, remember? Okay, now, Job chapter 1, I want to read some similar words to you. Do you remember the story where Satan confronts God about Job? You remember the story? Alright, look at verses 10 and 11, okay? I'll, I'll back up to verse number 9, but verses 10 and 11 is what I want you to see. Verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Now, look at verse 10. Hast not thou made an hedge about him? God, you've put Job on the mountain. You have put Job on the mountain. Now look at this. And about his house and about all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Verse 11. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. You know what Satan was saying to God about Job? He was saying, Job is winning because you keep him on the mountain. But if we can pull Job down to the valley, Job will lose. Sounds just like the Syrian army. Pull him down to the valley. Pull him down to the valley and he'll lose. I guarantee you he'll lose. Isn't it interesting that Satan's tactics have really not changed that much? So the elevation of the mountain, the ebb of the valley. Quickly, number three, the enemy in the valley. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 20. The enemy in the valley. Now, I don't believe we have this for the the outline, but I'm going to give you an A, B, C, and a D under this, okay? A, B, C, and D. The enemy in the valley. Letter A, if you're taking notes, write down the word, uh, write down this, their assault. Their assault. Verses 23 and 28 is where we started this morning. The middle of verse 23, but let us fight against them in the plain. Let us fight against them. The same in verse number 28 as well. Their assault. We'll drag them down. We'll drag them down. Let her be right down their abundance. Look at verse 27. Their abundance. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them and the children of Israel pitched before them. Look at this line here. Like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. Like two little flocks of goats. Two little flocks of goats. But the Syrians filled the country. So as far as the eye could see, you could see the Syrian army. Can I tell you something about my wife? My wife wants goats. I know, you might be saying most people want a puppy or a kitten. My wife wants goats. Okay? And uh, we've got some goats in a little farm not too far from our house. And every time we drive by, I say, oh, look at the little goats. And, she wants, and she's already got their names picked out. Is it Millie and Tilly, or is it Tilly and Silly? It's Millie and Tilly. She wants two little goats. She wants them both girls, and she wants them named Millie and Tilly. Okay? And I guarantee you, I'm going to end up just calling both of them Silly. 
But have you ever seen a little flock of goats? You know, uh, little flocks of goats, they're not intimidating. They're, they're not like herds of goats. You know, you see herds of buffalo storm. If you see a herd of buffalo storming your direction, you're going to run like a crazy man. But you see a little flock of goats, you're just going to stand there and watch them because they're just not really that. I don't get really that scared of them much. Of course, I've never been bitten by one or anything like that. I may see it differently then. But I'm talking about their abundance. Israel was outnumbered. They were drastically outnumbered. They looked like two little flocks of goats, whereas the, the, the series, as far as the eye could see, right down the letter C, their arrogance. Their arrogance. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, And they pitched one over against the other seven days. I've got that underlined. Seven days. They pitched one over against the other seven days. And so it was in the seventh day the battle was joined and the children of Israel slew the Syrians and a hundred thousand footmen in one day. So where do you get arrogance in that? Well, think about this. Why, why did Syria surround them for seven days? Why did they do that? If they're like two little flocks of goats and the Syrians are just surrounding them in multitudes... Why would they just park it there for seven days? Why would they do that? I, you know why they to make them sweat. You bunch of little stinkers! You beat us last time. You ain't beating us this time. But before you die, I'm gonna make you stress this one out. I'm sure there were guys in those two little flocks of goats. <laughs> the Israeli army, they couldn't sleep well. I, I, I doubt all of them had great faith in God, right? Listen, if White Oak Baptist Church wins some great, great victory, does that mean every single member here is on fire for God and is totally... Probably not. Probably not. So if you think every one of them was totally committed and totally in, in faith, I doubt it. I doubt it. I'm sure some of those guys are like, we, we better leave somebody awake here in case they... Seven days! Seven days! Their arrogance. Their arrogance. We know we're not going to lose. We can't lose. We got them down in the valley. We got them surrounded. We cannot lose. So we've seen the elevation of the mountain, the ebb of the valley, the enemy in the valley. Let me give you number four. Oh, I'm sorry. I left a, a subpoint. Letter D is their annihilation. Their annihilation, verses 29 and 30. Letter number four, let me talk about the executive in charge. The executive in charge. Now this one's a little, a little unusual. Unusual thought we have here. Um, for Israel to win a battle like that, I wonder who the king is. Now, don't peek, okay? Everybody look, look up here, okay? Don't, don't peek. I'll show you in just a minute, but... By the way, has anybody been reading the verses around this while I'm... Okay, alright. So does anybody... Now, now, just to be honest, it's just kids here today. Does anybody right now know who the king was at that time, the king of Israel? Okay, now don't peek just yet. I'll tell you in just a minute. But if you had to guess, if you had to guess, who was the king at this time? I would think, maybe David? Maybe Hezekiah? Maybe Josiah? One of the big ones, right? One of the good ones. Surely this was one of the really good kings. Because God would not bless Israel under some loser. Right? 
Surely Israel is not going to win a battle like that of miraculous proportions under some... It's got to be Josiah. It's got to be David. It's got to be Hezekiah. Alright, let's, let's look. Now, if you know your Old Testament history a little bit, this may shock you. Look back at verse number 2. Verse number 2. It says, And he sent messengers unto... Oh, boy. Ahab, king of Israel, and of the city. Hmm. Skip down to verse 21. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself. I'm sorry, that's verse 22. Verse 21. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians a great slaughter. And the prophet came unto the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and, and mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come, to thee again, come against thee. So, wait a minute now. The Ahab's listening to a preacher? I thought he didn't like to do that. Um, the executive in charge was a deeply troubled man. Um, a deeply, deeply troubled man. Uh, I, I don't know a better way to say it, but he was just flat awful. Anybody here remember his wife's name? You just blurt it out if you want to. Jezebel. Jezebel. Even today, in 2017, if there's some just awful, awful woman, you look at it and say, that woman's a Jezebel. Yeah. You know? just so That's a name that has stuck for centuries now. Jezebel. Ugh. Bad woman. Awful. Horrible woman. The, remember when Elijah sat on the juniper tree and wanted to die? Remember that? You know why? Ahab and Jezebel. These are bad people. Bad people. So, Pastor King, what are you trying to say about this? Here's what I'm trying to say about this. You don't have to have all of your surroundings exactly right for God to work in your life. You don't have to have the exact right boss for everything to be okay in your life. You just don't. Can I go as far as say you could even be married to a rotten person and still have the grace of God in your life? It's true. I see all y'all. You hear that? Yeah. That's why we came today. <laughs> Can I say this? In my opinion, you got the best pastor in America. Alright? So you don't know every pastor in America. Oh, yes, I do. I know a few of them. I think you've got the best one in the country. I really do. But if you find some flaw somewhere, you probably will because you're looking for one and your mind is creating one that's not really there. Sometimes we humans do that. Especially when we're sitting in a pew getting under conviction under his preaching. And then we go, well, I'll pull him down. You know, but can I just say this? Even if he was Ahab, that's no excuse for you. No excuse for you. Let me tell you right now, Angela ain't no Jezebel. But even if she was, it's no excuse. 
no excuse. You've got battles in your life. You've got valleys in your life. And there's a God in heaven. A God in heaven. Pastor King, you just don't know what I go home to. Pastor, you just don't know what I go to work and see every day. You just don't understand the conflicts. No, I, I understand what these two little flocks of goats that, that was called an army, I understand what they were under, and it was not healthy. But they won. They won. Quit making excuses. Quit making excuses. If I just had a better wife, if I just had a better husband, if I just had a better pastor, if I just had a better Sunday school class, if I just had a better this or a better, if I just had more money, if I just... Listen, you're never going to have everything batting 100% in your life. The biggest thing in this country was their king. And he was bad. But they won anyhow in spite of him. The executive in charge. Bad, bad dude. But... That was no reason for them to lose. And then finally, I'll give you number five. I'm not done yet. I'll give you number five, and then we'll begin to wrap it up. Number five is the eternal God of heaven. The eternal God of heaven. So here's, have you all ever heard the, the old song, the God of the mountains, the God of the, the God, you've heard that song? It comes from this story, by the way. I guess you probably figured that out by now, right? I'm glad to know that God is God when I have money. And God is God when I do not have money. And I'm glad to know that God is God when I am at peace. And God is God when I am not at peace. And God is God when I sit in a church service and I'm stirred. But God is God when I sit in a church service and I sleep. God is God when I am healthy, and God is God when I am not healthy. God is God when the people in my life get along with me, and God is God when the people in my life do not get along with me. God is still God, the eternal God of heaven. Listen to this verse, James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, listen carefully, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. No variableness. Can we all say that together? Ready? No variableness. I'll say it again. No variableness. That means God doesn't fluctuate. That means that God is the God of the mountains, but He is the God of the valleys. There is no shadow of turning with Him. He does not change because our circumstances change. Now, to wrap this up, right down here in the bottom left-hand corner of my notes, I've got uh, a list of the five darkest days of my life. The five darkest days of my life. The, the, and I won't go through all of these, but I'll just tell you the first one is um, when I'm, I thought our daughter had died. I mean, I, I literally thought she was dead. And um, she, she was not. The doctors were able to resuscitate her. But for about 20 minutes, and if, you have, if you have lost a child, I cannot even begin to fathom what you deal with in that, okay? I can't even fathom, but I do know for 20 minutes I lived it. Now you say, Pastor, I lived it for 20 years. That's why I can't fathom 
20 minutes of that was, was torture for me. Torture for me. And I've got four other dark days that I've, I've, are the five darkest days I've lived in my entire life. But I'll tell you something else that I did out here next to these five dark days that I've lived. I also, out next to them, wrote down five powerful lessons that I learned from God in those five dark days. And if you want to try to understand me, you can't really know me without knowing what those five lessons are. Now, your pastor and his precious, wonderful wife knows all five of these stories. In fact, we live through two of them together. And uh, and and the other three, you know them as well as you know the other two. And and, um, can I just say, you're going to have dark days. You're not going to escape life, but there are going to be some. And things are just not going to work the way you think. But... I've heard people say, uh, you know, if I could go back and change it, I wouldn't. Oh, if I could go back and change some of the things, I would. <laughs> Let me tell you, they hurt. They hurt bad. But I'm thankful that now that I'm out of those valleys, I'm thankful that God taught me some lessons, and I'm thankful that God brought me back to some elevated positions in my life, and God has allowed me to have my head above water, and that God has, has uh, shown Himself strong and powerful and mighty and loving in my life. So the lesson for you today is very, very simple. If you're dealing with a valley, if you're dealing with a valley, just determine to win anyhow. You like simple sermons? How many of you like simple sermons? It's as simple as it gets. If you're in a valley, just make up your mind. You're going to win. You're going to keep a right attitude. You're going to keep a walk with the Lord. You're not going to be tempted to drop out of church. Not going to get in a fight with anybody. You're just going to pull up your bootstraps, keep marching. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for being God to us today. God, for those who feel like they're sinking, 